The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe more than any other, but at least as much as any other, the story of Adam and Eve has been illustrated countless times in many ways over the centuries, be that in paintings or in stained glass windows of churches and cathedrals. And because of how familiar this story is to us and the way that many of us can probably speak it and tell it from memory, it may be difficult to listen to it without making assumptions about it and its its meaning for us. We often see or think of images of the woman and a man wearing only fig leaves. Often an apple tree is hanging above them or somewhere nearby with apples all over the tree, and one of the two will be holding a bitten apple or it will have been discarded nearby. However, speaking to the assumptions that we can make about this, nowhere in the scriptures does Genesis tell us it was an apple tree, just that it was a fruit tree of some kind. Somewhere nearby is the snake. And the snake in these depictions often has this knowing or this satisfied look about him after convincing them to eat from the tree of knowledge. And some of my favorite depictions include the snake looking back out at the one who looks at the painting, as if to say to us, would you too like to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge? You too can do this if you'd like. For me, it's always interesting how simple of a thing God asked them not to do. One thing, don't do. Don't eat, don't even touch from that tree. And forever known, because they do, this has been known to us as a story about human temptation and our weakness to sin. Now, in the aftermath of their grave mistake, there are consequences that many of us are familiar with. Humanity's relationship with God is compromised for good. Both of them are cast out of the beautiful garden to to make their own way in the world distant from the presence they had with God before. They're they're sent to toil and sweat in their labors. They become mortal, subject to death now. All this is true, mostly, 
But I would suggest that this is an incomplete summary of what this story is about. Now, I say this because it fails to acknowledge that the relationship between God and Adam and Eve and their children go on, goes on for a very long time after this garden incident. God has not abandoned them completely. And their story is full of good and, and bad and joy and tragedy. And in, their short, in short, their story is the human story. It's the human story about our relationship with God and a God who has expectations for our life and living how we are prone not to follow along with what God desires of us. And perhaps the most influential consequence of this story for the church has been our understanding of original sin. Yet, like the apple tree, the word or the phrase original sin is not in the scriptures either. I'm not suggesting sin is not a part of this story. If sin is defined by anything that separates us from God. However, it wasn't until the third century that this idea began to emerge and, and really take root in the church. St. Augustine was the first to use the phrase. And the idea is that sin has destroyed our freedom to do or to be good in the world. And the only thing that our freedom leads us towards is sin. And on our own, we will always choose to eat the forbidden fruits. However, even if this is the story of our brokenness, our sin, it is ultimately a story, I believe, about something much greater than that. This is the story where the human journey towards understanding redemption begins. From the very beginning, we came to understand how much we need God. Jesus' ministry is a reminder of this for us as well. You see, the snake often symbolizes the devil for us, and this is a significant connection as we begin Lent today, because it's also the day that we remember Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, where he is tempted by the devil. But maybe the most compelling thing the snake tells Adam and Eve is that there really is no immediate consequence for disobeying God. You see, Eve had told the snake that God said we would surely die if we eat from the tree or even touch it. But the snake said, that's not so. That's not true. And the snake was correct. They did not die in that day. They did gain the wisdom of God. They, they came to know what was good and what was bad for the first time. And I believe, actually, for the snake's part, this was a pretty convincing argument. Who of us has not seen in our world those who do evil or bad things don't always suffer immediate or visible consequences. In fact, we live in a world that will reward such so the temptation to do or to get what we want, resolving that the ends can still justify the means, that is a very compelling and powerful notion. So these 40 days of Lent remind us that Jesus was subject to these temptations as we are. As it was with Adam and Eve, the devil seeks to tempt Jesus with things of power and wisdom. But Christ choosing to be like us, sets aside his power to avoid harm and death on the cross. He refuses to force us to follow him. 
And he teaches us what freely loving and following God really looks like. This has reminded me this week of the story of the Odyssey. Remember the great Greek tragedy that we all learned many years ago. You may recall in that story that Odysseus was leading his crew home and they encounter the tempting song of the sirens. They had lured countless ships into the rocky shore surrounding their island. And Odysseus knew about this. He was very cautious, but he was also very curious to know what their powers really were. So as they could draw closer to land and home in order to protect his crew and ship, he plugs the ears of his crew with wax so that they can't hear the tempting siren song and music. But he so wanted to hear what that was all about. He so wanted to know what was so alluring about what the sirens say. So he did not put wax in his ears, but he straps himself to the mast of the, of the ship. And the ship draws closer. He can hear the tempting song growing more and more compelling. And he tries with all his might to break free from the restraints that he had put around himself. The restraints hold. And his men escape unharmed. Now, I've always taken this story to suggest that you and I have the power, we have the means by which to keep temptation from leading us to crash into the proverbial rocks. But our, sta- our faith story is not like this. God would be part of it. God would be on another shore beckoning us, no, come this way, come to me instead. Not a silent figure in the story this is how not this is not how God relates with us or works with us God does not bind us with restraints force us to choose what is right God gives us freedom to choose sometimes we choose God sometimes we choose temptation we have been given the freedom to be obedient to God and we have been given the freedom to disobey And what we learn is that this latter freedom is most compelling. And this is why one of the questions we ask and we ponder in many ways during Lent is, what does God do with us and our sins? What do we do with our sins? What do we do with each other's? How do we respond? I said earlier that there's a compelling argument that you could call this the story of original sin. But if we were to call it that, I think we must also call it the story of of original grace. This story, taken as a whole, is not only about that which distracts us from God. It is just as much, if not more so, about how God, after our great falls, after our great failures, and the consequences of them at times, freely chooses to continue to walk alongside us. Just as God did with Adam and Eve to strive with us. And what we learn is that God does not want us to live as robots and God does not want us to follow along as if puppets on a string. God wants us to learn to love, to learn how grace works. And that can only be done freely. The only way for us to learn is for God to love us with no strings or restraints attached. This has meant that our relationship with God has often struggles and it's often full of tragedy but it's also full of wonderful realities 
God always continues to strive with us. Sin nor death have yet to have the last word. That is God's word. As one person wrote, we have the capacity to destroy our own kind, other kinds, and even creation itself. Not only in bits and pieces, but also on the grand scale. Even so, we must learn to see that humans have the capacity, and I would offer sometimes an amazing capacity, to be gracious, good stewards of the world, and kind. I have seen it. We must learn, because of this, that that comes from God, and that we were all created for good in the image of our good God. Yes, there will be ways, there will be days, that our ambitions will overstep our capacity to do good. And before, it, before we know it, sometimes we will well, we'll try to be like God. And some days we'll live as if we don't need God in this world. Yet we must, in our desire to understand all that can be wrong, put just as much energy understanding what redemption and goodness look like. I love so much what I read this week about this relationship we have. I read that somehow we have to be able to believe that although life is not always easy, although we can make the worst mistakes, we must finally believe that God still pulls for us, no matter what. Have you ever had someone that pulls for you? Pulls for you perhaps when it was not easy to do? <laughs> Have you had those who pull for you even though you would not listen to a word they say, but they continue to stride with you? I can think of those folks, and I'm very thankful for that. However, this is not the case for every person in the world. And that's why our faith story is so crucially important to share. Not only in Linton Easterbrook, but specifically now. Our story reminds us to tell the world, especially those who feel like no one is in their corner, that you do have someone pulling for you. And that person is Christ. And because Christ pulls for you, so do we. That person is Christ, of course. And Jesus knew what it was like to live in this world when it seemed that no one pulled for him. The cross reminds us of that too. Think about it this way. Jesus grew up, born to parents who were led on a forced march just to pay taxes when Mary was in late pregnancy. And soon after that, Jesus would be a survivor of a mass murder of children two and younger in his hometown, and he had to flee to Egypt until it was safe to come back home again, and even then it was an uncertain safety. Jesus grew up with and among and ministered to all who are oppressed. And after he was baptized, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Ironically, he was accused of being evil himself by good religious folks, and they hated him so much that they had him arrested on false charges, beat him to an inch of his life, and finished him off on the cross. By all measures, if we were to forgive anyone for becoming violent or full of vengeance, it would be those like Christ that we would understand. But he did not. All the way to his death on the cross, he chose forgiveness and he chose love. 
Jesus withstood every temptation he faced. He gave up the power he had to protect himself from us. And he refused to force us to follow him. And he did this because he already knew that God loved him freely. And because of that, freely loved us. The story of God and humanity does not, in fact, begin with the failures of Adam and Eve. It begins with God making us in God's image. It begins with God giving us a purpose and relationship with all creation. It begins by God providing for us all that we need. It begins, as Genesis 1.31 says, where God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the next day. And since that beginning, since time itself began, God has always walked beside us. God walks with us on our good days. God walks with us on our bad days. And this is as true as there will be evening tonight and a morning tomorrow. God will do the same tomorrow. So let us walk these 40 days together. But let's do so with the assurance that God has defeated our sin. God has defeated and overcome our death and offers us salvation. God, with freedom, has given you and me a real choice. We can trust and we can follow God. And we can live as if God doesn't exist. We can ask God to help us in every decision we make. Or we can go through life as if God has no say. That is up to us freely. There will be a cost when we don't. Just as Adam and Eve have taught us. But during this season of Lent, ponder this truth. God will never abandon you. God will not leave you alone. God will keep wooing you. God will keep calling you. God is the father of the prodigal son. And whenever we stray, God's response is to long for us to come home again. And at this Lenten season, there's a part of you and your life that needs to come home. Know that God is waiting to embrace you. Know that God loves you unconditionally. And may we learn in these days together by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of we know such love that we can love each other as God has loved us freely. Thanks be to God. Amen.